everyone and welcome back to another episode of the TV That Changed Me podcast. I'm Beth Watson and today we're talking about Alfreda Saint-Pat. Have you ever wondered where different national stereotypes come from? Have you ever thought about the first time you heard that French people eat snails or that German trains always arrive on time? I definitely hadn't before, but after watching Alfie de Saint-Pet, I started to think about how much TV helps to propagate these myths that we have about different countries and the way that these shows that play on cultural differences end up shaping the way we treat people from different nations. And I'm really excited to be talking about this with historian David Lawton today. We're going to be unearthing the World War II references, the German stereotypes and the British nationalism that played out in the classic sitcom Alfie de Saint-Pet, which was a mainstay of British TV in the 1980s. Now I'm aware this show is a little bit older than some of the things we normally talk about, so it might be that you haven't heard of it before. But don't worry, we're going to be explaining a lot about it as we go along, and I promise it's still a really interesting conversation, even if you've never watched it before. So, let's get on with the show. So, my name's David Lawton, and I'm a PhD student. I study history with a focus on the 1980s and 90s, looking at British culture and the relationship between Britain and Europe. At the moment, I've been in the BFI archives because I'm working on television programmes, including one of the ones we're looking at today, Alfie de Saint-Pet. Amazing. It's so excited to have like a, like a real person who knows stuff about TV on the show. Um, we've had a few, but it's nice to have like... A scholar. <laughs> so for anyone who wasn't in the 80s and 90s and might not know, could you give us a summary of like, what is Alfie de Saint-Pet? Okay, so yeah, Alfie de Saint-Pet's like a comedy drama series. Um, the first series came out in 1983. And it basically follows the lives of um, bricklayers. So people who are kind of construction workers from Newcastle upon Tyne. They're unemployed and they go to Germany to find work. So you've got these kind of working class guys from Newcastle in Germany, um, you know, with the kind of clash of cultures and the, the show explores that, um, you know, and the kind of relationships between the, the British workers, the German workers, um, the things they miss about home, the things that they, you know, discover about Germany so it's kind of an interesting interesting show to look at in terms of culture what's your relationship to Alfie the same pet I'm I haven't watched it because I wasn't around at the time before I I had heard of it um as a kind of classic ITV comedy show it's it was at the time it was incredibly popular so it was put up against kind of EastEnders on the ITV slot with like EastEnders on the BBC it had a huge audience um at a time when there weren't many tv channels and um subsequently it's got kind of like a really hardcore fan base who have their own twitter page still um so it's it's kind of a, a real cult show um and i became interested in it because it deals with british kind of ordinary people who are in europe in germany finding work during the 80s and i wanted to look at 
you know, instances on British television where there's a kind of connection to the continent, to Europe. And Alfidaze and Pet was mentioned by one of my supervisors um, as a show in the 80s that they watched and enjoyed. And I've been thinking in general about instances on television where British audiences are coming across the idea of Europe or of Britons in Europe. And there's lots of different things you can think of, like, you know, cooking shows, which kind of emerge at this time as well, or shows about the second, like documentaries about the Second World War, all those things in a way, encourage British audiences to think of their own Britishness, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good point. And it's interesting that you said cooking shows, because I feel like the one that comes to mind, which is probably not 90s, probably noughties, actually, um, is like Rick Stein, Rick Stein's like what's it called? It's literally called like Rick Stein's Adventures or something. And for me, that was probably those kind of shows. Like I studied languages and I loved going to Europe all the time, like back before COVID. And I think like all of that came from that kind of like cooking show glamorization of being abroad. And I, it's interesting that you say that that came about in the 80s. Yeah, well, I think in general, the interest in continental food is very new in Britain. So, you know, olive oil up until, you know, the late 1970s was was mainly put, you could only really purchase it in pharmacies as a medicinal item. For your earwax. Exactly. Yeah, for your earwax. So we've come a long way. We've come a long way. I used to work in a pharmacy um, in Sirencester in the Cotswolds where I'm from. And like the, like we sold little bottles of olive oil for earwax as, and like, obviously mm. you can get it in supermarkets and stuff, but like people, old, like older people would come in and buy like little bottles of olive oil for that reason. And yeah, I think because we're so surrounded by foreign culture now it's hard to remember they're like even 40 <laughs> years ago even 40 years ago like it wasn't common to have such an array of like German French Spanish food in supermarkets yeah exactly in- English food culture was has been pretty terrible until quite recently and I think those um those kind of food shows you know you mentioned Rick Stein um, and there's lots of others working in the, in the 80s and 90s kind of before him as well to kind of establish and they're, they're really giving a positive view about Europe. Um, there's one guy I can't remember. Oh, Keith Floyd, he's called. He's a really famous one from the 80s who's who is a kind of massive Europhile. You know, he loves European food, French food in particular, um, and is trying to spread the message. So I think like on British television, there can be lots of positive things about Europe and also shows that kind of paint it in a maybe a darker light and in comes Alfie de Saint Pet and so <laughs> some shows show Europe in a darker light so you've got this group of bricklayers from the north of England but there's also someone from Bristol am I right and there's also someone else from Birmingham I don't know there's a mix of different regional accents in there and Mm. they've all turned up in Germany what's their first impression well I think it it varies on the on the different characters so um Neville who's kind of the main character who's quite quiet who's there for the first time 
he's kind of very green and getting used to all of the different things about Germany to Britain. So like the bar, the different beers or the different, uh, the language, for example, the different working regulations on the site. Um, one of the characters who's kind of most famous is one called Oz, who um, is played by Jimmy Nail. And this Jimmy Nail hadn't done any acting before this job. And he's a really kind of loud mouthed. Um, he, he hates the Germans. He always he's always talking about the Second World War. He, and he's a very he was a big favorite with audiences, despite the fact that he's actually he's kind of gross. You know, he gets into fights. He um, swears a lot. Um, so, yeah, they both have kind of different. Some of them are more open and they realize that they've been invited to Germany to work and they're kind of grateful for that. And others like Oz are more um, kind of stubbornly, I don't really want to be here. I'm just here for the money and I hate the Germans. Oh, I'm going to get my notes open because I didn't get them open and I regret it because I have wrote something down that Oz says. He says, literally, they need us more than we need them. About like them working for the Germans and about like them actually putting effort in on the building site. And I was like, that is exactly what everybody says, what everybody said around Brexit, wasn't it? It's that um, everyone said, oh, well, they won't cut us a hard deal. They need us more than we need them. And I was like, what? Like, how is it 40 years? Well, is it 40 years? 30, 30 something years have passed. And this kind of like nationalist character, this kind of like ungrateful character has kind of shown up in a bit of discourse all these years later. That's a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't actually, I hadn't made that parallel, but there is... You're right. I think I'll probably steal that because... Yeah, you can have um, it. You can have it for your thesis. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a sense of kind of entitlement of the fact that they need us more than we need them. And uh, the other character, so the older, more mature character called Dennis is kind of constantly telling Oz, you need to know which side your bread's buttered. You know, there's no jobs back home in England. We're, we were in the dole queue. Um, and our wives are working while we were sat at home looking after the kids. And so the Germans are giving us a job. They're giving us our kind of dignity back. And a character like Oz, I think, finds that really difficult to deal with. And that definitely has something to do with um, with masculinity and the way it relates to um, their identity as labourers. Uh, and yeah, so Oz is, Oz is constantly on the defensive in these early episodes and constantly being offensive towards Germans and of course the episode ends with him getting into a, a fist fight with another German worker. So they talk a lot about being on the dole in England about the lack of employment etc can you paint a bit of a picture what was Britain like then from a sort of historical point of view in terms of economics economic situation? Yeah I mean the, the interesting thing about the show is that one of the creators, Frank Frank Rodham, he had he he was from Newcastle, and he was he went back to the pub because he had a writing job in London. He was working in television. He went back to the pub one day and said, "Where is everyone?" And someone said, "Oh, they're all in Germany working." Um, and so there were there were actually about thirty thousand construction workers from Newcastle who went over to work in Germany. So the show is based on a real economic situation. And to understand that, we have to, um, for people that don't know much about the 1980s, 
um, when Margaret Thatcher came to power in 1979, one of the, the programmes um, that she put in place was basically to take away um, state aid from traditional industries that were being propped up by it to some extent um, in a process and, and accelerated a process which is known as deindustrialization, where basically these um, traditional industrial jobs like mining, um, you know, construction work, dock work, those kind of things, which, you know, were very, very, they, whole communities existed on this work in the north of England, in Wales, in Scotland. She, um, she was, and her government basically destroyed those industries by taking away support from them very quickly. And so lots of working class people in those communities were left unemployed. And in the early 80s, particularly, unemployment was very, very high in Britain. And what's the what was the incentive for that for the deindustrialization? De so there are lots of there's a lot basically deindustrialization didn't it didn't start with Margaret Thatcher. Britain was these industries in Britain were becoming less productive and less competitive than other places that around the world that were doing it cheaper. Um, the difference was was that when Thatcher comes in. Part of her um, ideology, if you like, part of the way that 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 those um, politicians in the Conservative Party at the time are thinking about Britain is that they want to um, take away support and spending from the state and put everything kind of onto the free market. Um, and that's an, this is an idea that's sometimes known as neoliberalism, which basically just means you want a society um, of which is competitive and which works basically on a, on a kind of free market basis. And so all of these industries um, which are being propped up by, by state subsidies or, or which are being supported by the state and which have powerful trade unions um, supporting their own interests are kind of attacked during the 1980s. And the trade union um, kind of power is, is destroyed and, and diminished throughout the decade, which results in the decline of these traditional industrial jobs. I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because the most famous example of that is the miners' strike in the, in the nineteen eighties, and that like obviously massively impacted the same sorts of workers that you see in Alfreda's own pet from the sort of small towns in Newcastle, um, and I think it was also Nottingham, Derby, all all over like the Midlands and the north of England. Um, people had were mining towns and then became not mining towns. <laughs> And exactly. we instead get got decided to get our coal from China and things like that. Um, and so it's a really interesting landscape for television as well. I was thinking um, when I was watching it about how there's a really good podcast about about films called You Are Good. And they sometimes talk about how um, post-economic crash the how the house size in films got smaller because it became mm. like awkward to show kind of like teenage girls in these like if you think about Clu clueless or something like that it's like you've got a massive like a girl living in essentially a mansion and it's kind of like they talk about how people's houses got like more humble after the 2008 crash and i was thinking about that when i was watching Alfie the same pet and i was like i wonder did like kind of economic conditions get like more humble after like Thatcherism? Is that like a common thing to have happened in TV in general? I think the 80s is an interesting decade because you have programmes like Dynasty, 
which is a very famous yeah. one from the decade. So there's, a, it, it, especially towards the later part of the 80s, there's a big kind of boom in banking and in, and in new wealth. And that's displayed on those kind of programs, which show huge houses and sports cars and bankers and all that kind of thing. Um, this Alfida Zane Pet's part of a different kind of tradition, which, show, which is showing people who are actually kind of suffering the most under the, the economic changes which are going on in the UK at the time. Um, so you've got the, the writers of this show, they did um, other shows, Likely Lads and Porridge. Um, but there's also there's also another show called um, Boys from the Black Stuff as well. It's part of a kind of tradition of, of putting working class characters on television um, and showing the kind of the reality of, of, of their lives, I suppose. Just to add a little bit to what you said, because I found it really interesting the, your point you made about house sizes getting smaller in television shows. Because the other day, my friend was saying um, how The Office, you know, the kind of Ricky Gervais um, famous comedy, how that was supposed to be like seen as a kind of hellish workspace in the early 2000s when it was made. Whereas now in the context that we're in sort of thing, it seems a kind of like, it seems kind of better. It seems kind of like quite an attractive job to have where you can just sit in an office all day and not really do much. Whereas now everyone's freelance has to, you know, everyone's kind of or in a wee work and isolated, alienated, or, you know, working for, um, you know, the kind of gig, econ gig economy or whatever. I think that that's a, it's an interesting thing to think about what the choices that people who make television programs have when they, they're trying to choose different, you know, economic, things to to kind of think about economic kind of contexts to think about yeah definitely and I think it's I think what is seen as like an acceptable setting at the time so like the office you're like oh what a gross office we're now like oh actually it'd be quite nice to just be around colleagues and like yeah. what was seen as like accept acceptable and like aspirational in kind of like those teenage high school films of like oh well everyone's gonna have a massive house because that's just like a cool thing for like teenage girls to watch and you're like actually but if like we've just gone through this massive financial crash people don't want to watch all of these people in like huge houses and you can kind of see it with them um, like the progression of kind of like friends where Monica's got like the massive flat that she doesn't pay for and it's like her grandma's compared mm. to like newer comedy which is often like it's a little bit more realistic maybe mm. they've got like a scene of them in like a tiny bathroom or like you can see kind of like it's like moldy on the walls and like I think it's interesting how that fluctuates according to what like almost like the palette of people at the time mm. totally and that's something that's you know that just speaking about kind of the areas I've looked at as a historian that's one of Margaret Thatcher's government's greatest legacies is the destruction of the housing stock in in the United Kingdom and, and the kind of privatization of good council housing so oh the, the... goodness me Dave you have struck upon a deep feeling of mine I've literally like I can't it's too it's too much it's too much but just the whole of London is just such a like an ode to Thatcher just the way the yeah. way that like council flats are kind of used nowadays in London it's like it's all because of Thatcher and the policies that she implemented could I maybe I could ask you a question just as a kind of yeah ask me a question yeah so 
what did you think just watching it like what were your what were your impressions that's yeah what were my impressions I thought the episodes were quite long (laughs) first things first is I think like the episodes I think the episodes could have been half an hour as opposed to Mm. an hour um but that's just one like one thing I think I, I was a little bit surprised at like how blatant the like references to World War Two were and how it didn't shy away. I mean, obviously that's the comedy, isn't it? So the comedy is that it's like they get there and the accommodation is like a prisoner of war camp and they call it like the star the star the Starlag, Starlag or something, which is like a German word for like prison POW mm. camp. I don't know. Um and like the lunch bell is like a sort of bomb siren um it's like wow wow it like sounds like the blitz bomb Mm. siren thing um the well after oz gets into that fist fight um he he like he's he's not going to be able to work on the building site and then he's able to work on the building site and dennis who's the kind of like wise older paternal figure is like oh well you've got your job now you've got your job back now. You're going to treat the Germans better. I'm paraphrasing massively. And he says, no, because they were the ones who bombed Minan or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, that just feels like the exact like dead end that you get into with like anyone who's got like a xenophobic view or a racist view. It's like you try and argue with them and you're like, well, actually they've given you your job back and they've been really kind. And, mm. you know, it's we can reach an understanding here. And he was like, no. <laughs> yeah that's that's really it's interesting you pick up on that aspect so I think references to the second world war are kind of a key thing that structure British identity in television programs um so like you know famous television comedies like dad's army um or uh there's a famous episode of faulty towers which is often like cited as one of the on those weird polls they do at Christmas like one of the favorite comedy episodes of British audiences and the the common theme yeah is this kind of like overt references or awkwardness between the fact that there's been this war in the generation before and now everyone's got to kind of get on and pretend it didn't happen um the weird thing is I don't think that's so I mean maybe correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think now in comedies that it would be that funny I don't know I don't find the show that funny or the idea of all like jokes about the second world war that funny maybe that's something that's generational or shifted yeah I completely agree I was thinking that when I was watching it I was like I think also now because the dynamic is really different between the UK and Germany I think we are actually really in awe of Germany for so many things like well, I mean just look, like Covid even would be like oh Germany's done so well on Covid of course they have they're so efficient oh they're so good at like they're probably testing really fast they're such a good like they're so we sort of covet Germany the same way we do Scandinavia in this way of like oh everything just works over there or the trains <laughs> arrive on time and so I think that dynamic has really changed and I think also the attitude to World War Two of 
it's funny because we don't talk about it. It's like a taboo subject, like sex or like death or something. And that's what makes the comedy funny. Mm. Germans do talk about World War Two, and they've owned up in a really big way. And they've got loads of memorials to it. And they really discuss like their history. And they're like well known for like teaching German history incredibly well in school. If I now tried to put together a comedy of us taking the piss out of like, the Germans of World War II. It's like, how shallow and sort of ignorant would that be? I just don't think it would be as that funny. I don't think audiences would find it as funny as they did at the time. I think maybe it was a generational thing. You know, that in 1980, you know, maybe your parents would have been in the war or your grandparents, whereas, you know, now it's it's definitely, for our generation, grandparents, if not, if not older so there's more of a disconnect perhaps and I think as well things are there's there's there are more connections than ever with with Europe and with European people going on exchanges or more holidays to Europe and those connections I think make the kind of differences kind they, they erode the kind of differences which a show like Alfie's own pet is is based on yeah, and like that was the whole point of Erasmus, like the whole exchange program, RIP, was that it <laughs> was that it was to get European people to no- get to know each other better, so they wouldn't be as nationalist and that they wouldn't mm. want to go to war against each other. Mm. The problem there, I would say, is that it was exclusively for university students, so it wasn't like it was basically preaching to the converted. That's maybe a bit stereotypical of me, but like preaching to people who were kind of maybe already interested in traveling to new countries and already interested in learning about diverse like people and languages and stuff. I don't know. I mean, so that's massively gone off track of what I thought about Ophida Saint Pet, but you're right. I don't, I think the humor falls down a bit now. I texted, I texted my mum before and I was like, Mum, have you ever watched Alfie the Same Pet? And she said, Yeah, I found it hilarious at the time. I imagine it's a bit passe now. That's it's so strange, isn't it? The way and it's like you said as well, it seemed very long, a 50-minute show. It could have been shorter. And I think that if you watch things from I, you know, I I don't think many people watch things from the nineteen that many things from the nineteen seventies and eighties. Um, but when you do watch them now, they do seem slow, they seem boring, the pace is different the production values are much lower. Um, and I think it's it speaks to the kind of the way that television, what we expect of television drama and comedy has changed massively um, in terms of like how high the quality of production is with television shows now, how fast paced they are, because there's there's so much competition with different streaming channels that we, our attention's you know, constantly got to be grabbed by something that's a lot more kind of pacey and fast and these kind of slower shows which are kind of really their dialogue based like Alfie Zane Pet do seem a bit boring to us now I think. I think so too and I was also surprised there wasn't as much physical humour like my idea of like an old comedy show involves like a I mean I feel like Faulty Towers is physical humour more mm. or it's lots of like flashy like it's accents isn't it like that's that's the joke isn't it it's the kind of spanish way to accent thing isn't it which is faulty towers is known for um but that doesn't necessarily sit well with us now is like taking Mm. the piss out of people just because they come from a different country and yet 
it still happens a lot in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the thing I did, the one thing I wanted to talk about was um, the choice to kind of cast Jimmy Nail as Oz. Um, because he was, you know, he was born in Newcastle to, in working class background. He was kicked out of school and he, he himself said he spent his time drinking, fighting and generally rebelling against authority. Then he ended up in a in a in prison after a football match fight um, and kind of randomly applied to for this acting job because a girlfriend put him up for it. And they, they gave him the spot. And I think like. Would that happen now? I, I'm not sure. That seems like such a huge risk to take. And he became a big favourite of the show. So there's there, there's something, although it is, you know, as we've said, I don't find it particularly, um, you know, I'm not bent over laughing watching it and it's quite slow paced. But I do think that the, the casting's really interesting um, with, with Jimmy Nail and also with, you know, people who went on to make huge careers like Timothy Spall, who's an amazing actor, um who goes on to have like more of a more of a role in later episodes but i do think that i do think that's something of merit about alfida zane pet which does stand the test of time a lot of people basically say that open casting is like the way to get diverse actors because it's it just doesn't go off any kind of like drama school nonsense like i think it is a really good way of getting like good people on board who didn't have necessarily have the experience but I would not want someone to act in my show that was spending lots of money producing who had just been in like, just, <laughs> maybe that's bad of me. Maybe I should be more pro ex-offenders on TV. Maybe I, think that was, was I think there was, you know, they, they can like, I think there was a lot of drinking that went on on set from the bits I've read and they did have a, they had a good time filming it. Um, so it might be fun to work with people who are a little bit more of a loose cannon, I suppose. But I think there were problems, in, especially in series two, when he became famous, he he was a, a little bit of a drama queen, according to some of the other actors about his lines and stuff, because he kind of became a star in the UK. He became a star. He came from nothing and then he became a star and it went to his head. A tale as old as time. Um, but just, just on the point about the the casting and the choice to to depict obviously they're not all from newcastle the main characters are you've also got there's a character called london he's known as london because he's from happens to be from london the guy that looks like kind of keith richards or something um and then there's a guy called bomber who i think is is scottish and another character kind of joins them as well halfway through the episode but i think that one thing you do get now you don't get as much perhaps now is a is that sort of representation of different accents and different different cultures in the UK perhaps as much on TV I mean it kind of depends doesn't it I think like if I'm thinking of something that has a lot of different accents like maybe misfits so I think there is there is always that temptation of like having different regions of the UK being chucked into like a slightly offbeat situation like they're in Germany they're superheroes whatever you want it to be mm. um but you're right I think now it would probably be less likely to be a hodgepodge of different accents and more likely to be something like hyper localized like this country or like Derry Girls where it's like actually really zooming in mm. on that place but yeah I don't know it's interesting to see 
I, I, I can see like the origins of like British sitcoms in Our Feet the Same Pet of like, it's mm. very sort of like wordy. It's it's not like a such an in your face humor. Like it is kind of like slightly more subdued British comedy, but yeah, it it's a bit more slow than I was expecting. Mm. I think that's something that's so it's that's something in itself which is so interesting to look at how that changes you know from the 80s to the 90s I think there's a big change and then although you know there are still I'm like I like um Craig Cash's comedies like The Royal Family and um Early Doors and they can be quite slow um mm-hmm. there's a kind of like a slow comedic sort of pace to those those but I think they're shorter episodes, so that might make up. Yeah, for it. actually, I was just thinking again about your your thing of like different parts of the UK, like unite in a weird situation. Gavin and Stacey is probably like such a good example of that. It's like again, the the joke is that Welsh people are different from English people, <laughs> and that's the that's the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> But that's an amazing that's an amazing comedy, and I think. Mm. Um, but what makes that? It's a that's a really 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 relatable comedy, and I think that's maybe what British comedy does so well is it mm. it knows the kind of regional differences and it plays on that and it plays on the kind of culture clashes all the time. So oh yeah, so something I kind of found really interesting is that they. There's a moment in the pub when Oz is like kicking off and being a dick when um they ba- <laughs> they basically <laughs> they basically the german says he's oh he's not kicking off he's complaining about germany yeah and he i can't remember what he's complaining about i don't know trains are too efficient food <laughs> too tasty beer too cheap i don't know whatever his problem is and the German turns around and is like, well, if you you don't like Germany, go back to your own country. And I was mm. like, whoa. I was like, wow. Was that like ironic at the time? I don't know. Because if watching it now, that feels so incredibly ironic to mm. see like a British person be told to go back to their own country because it's such an often a slur being thrown at yeah immigrants in the UK and so I don't know I was wondering if that was do you reckon that would have been received differently then I I don't know I think that the the kind of you know the discourse around migrants um now is you know is is terrible and there's a lot of kind of go the kind of you know UKIP sort of go home let's let's defend the channel uh, stuff gives that, you know, that kind of Englishness, which is all about, you know, we are, we're entitled to kind of go and work in your country, but you're, you can't tell us to go back to ours kind of thing. I think that the, the context, it, the show's trying to show two different kinds of um, attitudes, I suppose, because Timothy Spall's character just before the fight starts is talking about a football player from Newcastle United who was transferred over to, to Germany, um, I think to play maybe for Dusseldorf. Um, and Ke- he, Kevin Keegan. Yes, and he learned. And he played the for language. Hamburg. Hamburg. There we go. I'm glad I've got a fact checker there. Um, 
so yeah, he played for Hamburg and he he um kind of fully integrated in Germany, learnt learnt the German language, etc. And Timothy Spall's character is saying, you know, that's how we should be. And Oz is saying, why on earth would you want to do that? It's it's almost an affront to him, because why would you want to take on the culture of a place like Germany, which essentially, um, in his eyes, is the place that we defeated in the war? Um, so why would we want to be kind of beholden to their culture at all? And that's the point at which the, the German worker turns him around and says, you know, if, if it's so bad here, then why don't you piss off? Um, and then the punch is thrown sort of thing. So yeah, I, I think that it's two different attitudes to like integrating when you're abroad. And obviously English tourists have a pretty bad rep abroad among, um, you know, Europeans as being like, you know, the kind of Brits in Spain, they go over and kind of colonize the place with their own culture and refuse to speak Spanish. And that's a kind of generalization and then vote Brexit as well weirdly but uh or you know the kind of the worst of english football fans when they're abroad who kind of you know that in the 80s as well they were massively um equated with football hooliganism english fans in particular so i think the context of those things helps make that funny i guess or ironic it's really interesting now thinking about the euros the other month and like mm. how everyone like the uh, England was in the final against Italy and everyone lost their minds. Like Wembley was like, with like people stormed to the stadium to get into the stadium and people were like screaming like anti-Italian abuse and like being like, you can shove your spaghetti up your bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like watching Alfie the same pet, I was like, yeah, we're still like that. There are still people in this country who um, just cannot see the benefits of like, just can't be good sports. I mean, <laughs> can't, be, can't be good sports in sport and can't, like didn't see the benefits of being closely linked to countries in the EU. Mm. And I think Oz really, I mean, Oz, Oz is a classic example of that he's able to live and work in Germany and where he wasn't able to get any work in the UK and he's just incredibly grumpy and xenophobic about it the entire time mm -hmm. and um it's and there are people who have um moved to Spain permanently there's a lot of British community in the south of Spain I used to work for a British newspaper in the south of Spain so I've got a bit of experience in it and yeah, a lot of people there just they'll they will not have learned Spanish and they won't necessarily appreciate the culture. And many of them voted Brexit. Like there mm. was a there was a substantial number of British expats in the south of Spain or Im British immigrants in the south of Spain who um yeah voted for Brexit. And so, <laughs> and I think it's it's it comes down to as well, you know, in 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 Britain immigrants who go abroad call themselves expats they can't even see themselves as immigrants there's a kind of a denial that a british person can be an immigrant when they're living when they're living abroad um and that's definitely part of it but the euros i'm glad you mentioned the euros because i had a funny we've been talking about you know the the constant references to the second world war and i think earlier we kind of said maybe we've maybe as a culture or as a generation we've kind of moved on from that 
but just to give a kind of example when when the euros was on and uh uh, I think England England had already played Germany. They weren't even playing Germany. They were playing another team afterwards. I can't remember who it was in the in the semi final. But I was in um, Stony Stratford, which is outside of Milton Keynes, randomly. And I went to the pub with a few friends to watch it. Um, and then we went to another pub afterwards for a few drinks. And there were like all of these guys, like twenty year old guys, singing. There will be ten. No, there's ten German bombers in the sky. And the RAF from England shot them down. And then there's nine German bombers in the sky. And the RAF from England shot them down. It goes on and on and on. And I just thought, maybe it's just lodged in there. It's just lodged in the British consciousness. This isn't a generation who even, some of them don't know anyone who was who were part of that war. And yet it's such a sense of like British identity and, and pride is somehow rooted or grounded in this kind of myth of, you know, we won the war which isn't really true anyway. Two World Wars and one World Cup is the, exactly, is yeah. the chant as well, exactly. isn't it? And there was that great quote from a German player during the Euros, which was like, um, he was someone was like, because Germany lost to England in the Euros, did they? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somebody, in, somebody, some journalist interviewed him and was like, well, what does it feel like to lose to your rivals? And I think he was like, well, we don't really think about it. Like, we don't really think about the UK that much. I don't know. I'm, I, maybe I'm misremembering the story. But he, yeah, he just kind of was like, what? Rivals? What are you talking about? Which mm. made me laugh because I was like, well, what's going on here? That we're, we're still stoking this rivalry between the UK and Germany. And I think it plays out more in football now mm. and less in popular culture. I feel like maybe on the telly, it's... It, it wouldn't be seen as such a kosher thing to do, but mm. in football chance, anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the immigration thing as well, I think what's interesting about um, the guys in Alfie de St. Pat is they are, yeah, they're immigrants. They've come to do the job, like, because there's no work in their own country, which is obviously normally the narrative for, like, all sorts of different people who come to the UK exactly and it's just I don't know I think it's just it's just interesting to see them suffer in the way that like a normal migrant worker would going to a country and like not knowing the language like not feeling very welcome not be very happy like not being mm. good accommodation I was like mm, were they playing on that as well maybe they were mm. I mean, imagine if imagine if it was a program set in the 2000s and it was based on Polish immigrant workers coming to Britain and they just rant about how bad Britain is and they're really obnoxious and rude. I don't think, you know, people it wouldn't definitely wouldn't be shown in Britain, whereas it's kind oh, of yeah. OK. It's laughable um, when British people kind of go over onto the onto the continent and have to and do exactly the same thing yeah I mean was it popular in Germany Alfie de Zainbert I don't think so I don't think so that often um some like British a lot of quite popular British sitcoms the formats for them are remade and reshown in Germany um the, the problem with Alfie de Zainbert is that the German characters aren't really that prominent in the show there's not they don't they're not really developed at all 
they're just kind of these rigid, very stereotypically um, German, as was as would be imagined by British people, sort of um, authoritarian figures in the in the camp, in the work camp, um, which you know fits a kind of joke about the war as well. So, no, I don't know. I'm not sure actually, but I I, I will look into that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And I'm I feel like as a German, would I want to watch this show if I were German? Probably not. <laughs> and and I think yeah, it would be really interesting to hear what some what like a German person my mum's age had to say about it. Mm. I was just thinking about um how male Alfie and Pet is as well. In that, in that, all of the characters are men, and it's a very kind of the the work site is an extremely male environment, um, which to me, I don't know if that I can think of many comedies now that would be made that would be kind of homosocial in that way, as much. I think lots of the comedies that I like tend to be more mixed now. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I I actually just think like women weren't in television very much until and they definitely didn't have their own shows so much until the kind of like 90s. And mm. then even still, the noughties was just some sort of like absolute cesspit for female roles in television like it just went like everything that was going well mm. in the 90s just like fell off a cliff um and so that makes a lot of sense <laughs> but I think now women and women's stories dominate television pretty much mm. um it's definitely been a renaissance isn't there over the over the past sort of five years even of of kind of women-led and you know, majority kind of women cast comedies, especially. Yeah, 100%. I really think so. Um, And that would make a lot of sense. I mean, in Alfie do the same pet, like their wives are kind of like, I don't know, there's kind of like the spectre of their wives, but then they're yeah. not really. Do you actually see them at many points? They do, the they do feature, but they often, yeah, they're very much in the background. And there's a sense in which this is I think for some of the characters like Oz it's sort of a lad's holiday where he is kind of you know he's escaped his wife in some way and he never sends money back some of the others have a more kind of breadwinning attitude they're trying to send money back but the men in in an early in the first episode the men all go and visit a German brothel on on a night out so it's uh it's a very yeah I don't think it's um it's kind of a different world to perhaps would be um, represented in a in a comedy about men today, maybe. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, <laughs> the everyone going... Yeah, no, you're kind of right. But I mean, like, the everyone going on holiday and visiting a brothel trope is, like, such a... It's yeah. so, like... I mean, the in-between is all the hangover, probably. I, like, they do the same I, thing. I literally they, I was... A, yeah, I literally was about to say the in-betweeners and the hangover were, my, were my, the first two that came into my head. Um, so, yeah, I mean, clever humour, maybe not, but it's definitely, it's, it's kind of, it, when you go back and watch things that are 
so old, you realize how like tropey all TV is. You're like, actually, like things mm. don't really change that much. Like there's always a character yeah. who gets into a fight with the foreign person or the person from another country. There's always somebody who like tries to sleep with the sex worker, especially that kind of comedy. It's always mm. really similar. Um, yeah, although they're quite different. I'm starting to think, you know, of, there's there's kind of some parallels between the characters in Inbetweeners and Alfie Dazain Pet. Like, who's the really, like, is it Jay? The one that's kind of horrible. I can't remember, in Inbetweeners. Yeah. The one with, like, the blonde yeah. mop. Yeah, uh, Jay. He's, yeah, he kind of reminds me of Oz a little bit, just like constantly just running his mouth annoying people getting in fights because he's saying kind of needlessly offensive things yeah I mean I did a good episode about peep show actually an episode of the podcast where um the guy I was talking to Matt Hoss um who's a very lovely comedian he was saying that um Jeremy in peep show Mm. is like the stifler from American Pie have you ever watched American Pie um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like the this the Stifler character in American Pie. And like as soon as he said the Stifler character, I was like, Yeah, there's always one of those, isn't there? There's always <laughs> a bloke in a blokey sitcom or a blokey film or whatever who's just too outrageous, wants to get everybody drunk, mm. wants to get into a fight, wants to be the most offensive, wants to sleep with the most amount of women. And then there's his slightly yeah. reserved friend. And that's the dynamic in Alfie the Same Pet as well of um Dennis and Oz yeah I think just watching someone be shocked at someone else's behavior is kind of funny yeah it is really funny also because the this is the question about our the same pet though is who's the audience like you said if Oz is everyone's favorite character who is are are we Mm. sympathizing with Dennis or are we sympathizing with Oz like if like Who's in the right if everyone actually thought Oz was a great guy? What? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think people thought he was necessarily, you know, a great guy. I think they just found it. He was he was a loved character because he was seen as a kind of, you know, working class anti-hero or something. Um, mm. And I don't, I, I doubt, you know, the audience will have, the fans of Alfie Zayn Pet, if you go on the their Twitter page, they're, from all kinds of backgrounds and I think it's 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 interesting who we're supposed to sympathize with the most I think perhaps Neville because he's the most unsure um and the most quiet so you can can, there's always a character that I think you can kind of project yourself on it's like apparently like Bella in Twilight she's supposed to be so boring because then everyone can just project their themselves on her and pretend that they're falling in love with Edward Cullen or whatever. But, um, mm. yeah, I think maybe Neville would be the one we're supposed to relate to. Definitely. And he's so lovely, that guy who plays Neville. What's his name? Something Watley uh, or Waitley. I can't remember, yeah. He's got such a sweet face. <laughs> yeah, he's in Inspector Morse. That's the other thing my mum texted me when I asked her about mm. the same place. She was like, oh, he's got the guy from Morse in it. Um <laughs> um so yeah he's a he was so nice in Inspector Morse and he's so nice in this as well he's just like a he's got a really kind face and I think it's yeah it's that 
there, there's a really important it's a really important role is the kind of green never been outside of the UK the everyman if you will who who is kind mm. of seeing the whole situation with fresh eyes and just um to finish off with a final question that I've decided from last time I've made a recording I'm going to ask everybody is um if okay if somebody had never heard of our feed the same pet which I actually think will be a lot of people who listen to this what would you tell them to make them watch it yeah okay yeah I would say that it's an interesting program in terms of giving a window into that period of time in British history and a window into lives that are very different perhaps from from our own right now um and it I think it can open a you know a broader interest in well why in questions about um that decade which is which I think was very important in transforming the way um that Britain looked as a country I don't know if that's a I don't some people will probably say oh, I don't want to I don't want to watch it then but <laughs> Some people will be like, well, that sounds really boring. I'm not going to watch sounds that That sounds fun, at all. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, Dave, can't we just watch The Simpsons instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it is genuinely interesting. I think it's well written um, for its time. And, and also it was a really important and popular show at the time and afterwards, which still has a fan base today. And as we've kind of picked up on in this show, you will find all of these familiar things about British comedy in it because it was an important kind of marker of that. So, you know, if, if, if you are at all interested in, in the history of kind of television, I would, I'd go for it. Yeah. Amazing. I would definitely say it's worth watching an episode. The second mm. episode that we caught up on today, which is who won the war anyway, is the name yeah. of the episode which is, I'm sure, something that you'll explore in your thesis, the name of the episode. <laughs> oh, well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there any, like, do you have anything to plug? Um, no, unfortunately, yeah, I don't have to sell my PhD, so. <laughs> Otherwise, That's I would okay. Say, yeah, you do you want to plug your band or... instead? Oh, yeah, if you want. I'm in a band called Preen, P-R-E-E-N. And, uh, yeah, we've got some gigs coming up. We've got music on streaming platforms all over the world. So, yeah, if you want to listen to to some new music randomly, you're welcome to. But no, thanks for thanks for having me, Beth. It's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Actually, you know, you've made me think about some really interesting parallels with 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 today from the program too. That's cool. I just need to be in the acknowledgements of the thesis that's that's all that <laughs> of course and you, yeah and, th- and then you can steal my point i made earlier i'll footnote <laughs> you i'll footnote you yeah <laughs> amazing cool. and that's our show for this week thank you so much for listening this episode was produced by me edited by me music was by the beautiful musical mastermind that is Iora 
you can check her out on Spotify. She's always got new things bubbling away. And just generally, if anyone wants to come on the pod, you've got a TV-related story to tell, please come the bloody hell along, because I'm always looking for new people. You don't have to be a razzle-dazzle celebrity. You just have to have something to say about television. So come on down. Anyway, that's all, I think. Bye-bye.